0: Go on a journey with me, a little time machine, to, it was the end of May, early June, 2013. What were you doing? I can tell you what I was doing. I was at swim lessons with my daughter. Uh, She was four years old. They were for her. I could swim. Um, But she was learning how to swim, and we were at this pool, and she was like, I don't know, blowing bubbles in the water, whatever you do when you're four years old, learning how to swim, and and, uh, I had a lot on my mind. Had a lot of my mind, and so uh, some of you were around in those days, but most of you were not. Uh, my family had moved to Wilmington about a year prior to that, and we lived on the ground here for about a year, and we moved here with the intention of starting a new church family. What does that even mean? How do you even do that? Well, the, the, the build-up to that first year was that we'd spent 10 years in ministry together. My wife and I are two kids. Uh, I had been a youth minister in southeast Virginia, Norfolk, and I had been a youth minister for another five years in uh, Greenville, North Carolina, and uh, we loved... Servant teens and we love doing all that but just really felt this pull and this call and we got an invitation from a church planting organization to start moving forward with a church plant journey. And I remember hearing all that stuff going, what even does that mean? Like how does someone start a church? What kind of stupid, arrogant idiot would go into a city and be like, let's start a new church? Like that's literally where my brain was. Like I should not be doing this. Um, But through some conversations and some mentoring and some things like that, we ended up spending uh, another year. So we have been 10 years in youth ministry. Another year we moved out to Concord, North Carolina, where I worked uh, with a mentor for a whole year as a church planting resident, kind of an apprentice to just like, see how church planting works and how do you start a new church and learn some things. And so we were there for a whole year, and then we were in Wilmington for a whole year. And when we got here, things started really slow. We had a, a very specific and, and narrow vision. We wanted to create church for people who don't like church. That was the line that we said. That's what we use. i meant it with 100% of my heart and still do. But what in the world is church for people who don't like church? It means tearing down the walls that have kept people away from church Tearing down the unnecessary things to get to the essential things that will bring you to Jesus. And I had a problem. I didn't have any friends, really, in Wilmington. And so we just kind of started going out. And I remember those early days uh, just, like, getting in my car and, like, what do you do? All right. So I just started, like, sitting at coffee houses, going to restaurants, just meeting people. Hey, saying hey to our waiter or waitress, going to parks with my kids, uh, playing sports with them. We lived in an apartment complex where there was, like, tons of people in this apartment complex. So we just started, like, hosting, like, cookouts and all kinds of things. And we're just, like, meeting people left and right. And I, was, I remember interviewing community leaders, dozens of them, at different places all over the city. And just kind of interviewing them and saying, like, what does Wilmington need? What is something that the church could be doing different here? Do you perceive that there's a reason why some people don't go to church? Like, what would it be if another church came to town? Like, all these things. I'm interviewing these community leaders, and I met hundreds of people, literally hundreds, and I know that because I wrote all of their names down in a document on my phone. And I began to pray for them on a rotation. Many, 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 many of them I never saw again. Couldn't tell them to you if they were standing right in front of me. And you might be like, I was one of them, and you ignored me. Like, I met so many people. We did Azalea Fest, we did all these things in the city because our whole thing was this we want to meet people who need to know Jesus that was it. That was our s- central goal. And when we found about 10 to 15 people, I think it was 13 the first time, we were, that were like friends enough where we could say, hey, you guys want to get together and do like a Bible study? We started a house church. And I remember we met in the living room and that first time there were 13 people there and I'll never forget the message that I taught that day. It was just like this short little message and I remember it involved a uh, family guy and everybody loves Raymond and uh, like the I Love Lucy show or something like that. And it was talking about family and how there's different kinds of family and, and but like what the church family can be about. I remember that so vividly. Um, and... And from that group, it began to kind of blossom and grow, and we said, let's serve together. So we partnered with like Nourish NC and some other groups in town, and we started serving people. And we we're like, this, the church is going to be the family together. Let's serve together. And so I'm sitting there and watching my daughter blow bubbles, and all of this is on my mind, okay? Like this is going on, because as the church family began to grow, we started moving. I remember there was a brief period we had like a couple different house churches meeting at the same time, and then that fell to pieces because that was too complicated. So then we we're like, we need to rent a bigger space. So at the time, we were like, where, where are we going to go? What's next for us? So I remember we were rented this, uh, this clubhouse at an apartment complex. By this time, Brent and Emily Myers and Aaron Collins, praise the Lord, had moved to Wilmington to help us. And we were the team, that group of five people, my, my wife and I and the, the two Myers and, and Aaron. And we were here, and we were doing it. We were doing church. We were starting a church, and we started renting uh, the clubhouse at Brent and Emily's apartment complex. And uh, we were ramping up to what we as a group had decided, let's launch In a public way, in a place where people can come to, that's not like weird, you're going to someone's living room, uh, and do church in something that might be a little more familiar to a bunch of Southerners, and so we're like, where do we go? And we tried all kinds of venues, and at this time, it was about May that year, the school system shut down all new contracts, and we couldn't rent any school space, that's where a lot of churches start, and I remember going to venue after venue after venue, and it just like wasn't working out And so I had a lot on my mind because we had decided to start in September, but it was June. And our goal was to have, like, some kind of preview services in, like, June, July, and August, and then, like, launch big in September and build some momentum and do some, you know, advertisement in the community, whatever. Like, how do you do this? And so, but everything was falling down. And I think it was, like, two weeks from then we had scheduled our first preview service, and we didn't have anywhere to meet. And so I was like, well, we'll just be at the apartment complex. It'll be fine. And so I'm sitting there with a lot on my mind. And I'm watching my daughter blow bubbles in the pool, and my phone rings. And so I answered it, and on the other end is uh, the voice of a lady that I'd met once before. Her name's Shannon, Shannon Berg. She was the director of the what was then called the Wilmington Family YMCA. And she said, hey, how's it going? And I was like, "Uh, yeah, life's good. And she goes, hey, I was just thinking about you. I remember you came to my office the other day. You were telling us all about this church plant that you were working on. I want you to see how that's going, like what's going on with the church. And so I'm telling her all kinds of stuff. And I tell her about the house church. And I tell her about serving in the community and all this stuff. And I say, and right now we just, we can't find anywhere to rent, to meet. And she said, "Well, that's funny because that's actually why I called you. And I was like, tell me more about this. She says, well, you want to meet at the YMCA? And we had toured the YMCA, and we had, con- before this, this place was rebuilt, some of y'all know that, the, the arrangement was weird, and we were like, the kids would have to be like way away from the adults, and we were like, I don't know if that'll work, and uh, it turns out it worked fine. Um, and she- but at this point, she was like, you want to do it? I was like, uh, yes, yes, yes. And she goes, okay, cool. Well, when do you think you'll be ready? I was like, how about next week? Can we do next week? And she was like, and I totally thought she'd be like, oh, that's kind of soon. Maybe like make me a month from now. She's like, oh, fine. Yeah. Come by the office. Let's talk about it. I said, actually, I'm at the YMCA right now. My daughter's in swim lessons. And she said, what? My daughter's in swim lessons right now. And I looked up from the bubbles in the pool, and right there across the pool was Shannon Berg on her phone doing this. <laughs> and she said, come here, sit down. And I was like, and I swam across the pool. No, I went away. <laughs> and we, what? That was just a little over 10 years ago. And uh, this month, we're starting a series I'm just calling Walking in the Light, um, because Quite frankly, and all the cool uh, branding we've done for teaching series and graphics and everything, I just, I just couldn't think of a more fitting way to celebrate 10 years of Venture Church. What do we say at the end of every service every week? Shine light in dark places. And we've talked so many times about what it means to walk in the light as he is in the light, to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh, and this whole idea of walking and the light and so, though it may not be, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty cool graphic because Brent's good, but, um, but the concept of walking in the light is just who we are and it's what we aspire to. And what I want to do over the next four weeks is just talk about four lessons that we've learned in the last ten years. Because I don't know about you, but like sometimes an anniversary or a birthday can just fly by, like you almost forget that it's happening and you just show up at the party and like blow the little like party blower thing, make the balloons, the cake, and then you just, you just leave. But like ten years, that's a big deal that's a milestone, that's a decade guys and so I wanted to take four whole weeks to celebrate ten years together and say like what have we learned because if we can't look back and see what we've learned then what have we been doing and then what about the next ten years and then the next ten years and the next ten years and I hope that our goal will be to continue to walk in the light and do the very same things that we were doing in those early days just meeting people to introduce them to Jesus not to invite them to a church service Not to go to a new building, not to come listen to a band who incidentally is phenomenal and is very great to sing along with, but so that they can be in community with one another and with a God who loves them. And if we move into this new building with any other goal, I'm out. And I hope you are too. We are disciples of Jesus Christ, and we want to be a place for people who might be far from him, that they could come into this community and be like, I get what you're doing and why you're doing it. And so no matter where you are today, you might be like, oh, that's not me. I'm I'm just here. My my friend brought me. My mom made me come, whatever it is. That's fine. Because we also want to be a place that's safe. (laughs) It's cool to have baggage. It's cool to have questions. You don't have to check them at the door. It's cool for us to disagree. I guarantee you we all would disagree on a lot of things, particularly professional football teams, but other things. But if we can agree on Jesus... And the lessons we learned from him, I think we can go a long way. Um, and so I'm just going to let the cat right out of the bag, and I'm going to tell you what our first lesson is, okay? And, and I, like, I, I got I this notebook, I write everything in, the staff that meets with me, I have this notebook, and you can't decipher it. It's just like, I just write and write and draw and doodle, and it doesn't make any sense. But I was writing down the lessons that, that I feel like we've learned in 10 years, and it's a long list. And I'm like, okay, well, that's, no one needs to read that. Um, but the one that I'm starting with today is just foundational. And here it is. Jesus transforms lives. It's simple. But Jesus transforms lives. Why is the church what it is? Why for 2,000 years plus have people been gathering together and praising God and calling themselves Christians? Why? Because Jesus changes people. When people meet him and they encounter what he offers, they become different. And because of their difference... They make a difference in the world. That's his plan. That's his strategy. Jesus transforms lives. And so to get into that and unpack that a little bit this morning, what I want to do is get look at what is probably one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. Top five easy in the book of Romans. And so if you got a Bible today, go ahead and crack that thing open. We're going to be... Look at only a couple of verses, but we're going to unpack them pretty good. Romans uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. If you've memorized much scripture in your life, there's a good chance this is one of them that you've memorized. We always have Bibles that we give away uh, to keep or just to borrow. If you want one, they're on the gray shelf by the door over there. Uh, but grab one, bring it back to your seat, look it up on your phone, whatever. Um, but Romans chapter 12, 1 through 2. And I just want you to hear this. I'm going to read it all the way through one time, and then we're just going to break it up in a couple pieces. This is it's on the screen behind me, too, if you don't have it open. Romans 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, that in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so we're just going to back up and look through that scripture a little bit and see what it means for us today. What have we learned over the past 10 years? What can we learn for this week, (laughs) today? And I think it begins with that very first line. We can put it back up there. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifice. That bodies as living sacrifice, I think, is the key starting point for this concept of what does it mean to be transformed by Jesus, to have your life changed, to be different, to live different. It's actually kind of an oxymoron, living sacrifice, especially in first century Rome, where this is, okay? So this is a group of Jewish people in first century Rome and so anyone in this time period who hears the concept of sacrifice is either going to think about sacrificing something to a pagan deity, or if they're the Jews, sacrificing something to God. Like, and, and what they mean is an animal that they take its life, like it's a slaughter, okay? So when you hear sacrifice, you hear dead. Yet Paul, the writer of this, says, I urge you to offer your bodies as a sacrifice, but not a dead sacrifice, a living sacrifice, like to make a sacrifice for your faith. We, we have martyrs in Christianity. A lot of causes have had martyrs. And the, the thing about this really cool play on words, uh, this, this oxymoronic kind of upside down living sacrifice phrase is a brain teaser for a reason. I think it's kind of genius because like the, to make a sacrifice for your faith is something a lot of people have done. And, and it's noble. Man, that's like a super high calling. And you've, you've seen these kind of things happen throughout history. But that's kind of like one choice. Like, in one moment, I've got to decide, I might lose my life over this, but where I really stand, right? And so, it's, but I've heard it said that dying for your faith is, is easier than living for your faith. Because a living sacrifice is giving your whole life, not one choice, but hundreds and thousands of choices, Choice after choice after choice after choice after choice after choice after choice. choice. And I wake up, am I still gonna do this? And I'm frustrated, am I still gonna do this? And my spouse passes away. Am I still gonna do this? And we lose our home because the economy crashes. Am I still gonna do this? And my kids are going crazy and they don't have the same faith that I do anymore. Am I still gonna do this? And our culture is changing. Am I still gonna do this? And I love that he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice for this reason. Because I think that there's a big thing about having skin in the game. This is a spiritual decision. Like, what am I going to do with my faith? But I think Paul rightly points to this and says, listen, but like, it can't just be ethereal and mental. You got to have skin in the game. Your hands and your feet, your lifestyle. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. So what does that look like? He gives us a little bit of a workshop, uh, I guess, is kind of how I've seen it, in verse 2. So he says this. It's like, if you want to offer your body as a living sacrifice, here's here's some ideas. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Let that sink in. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then, after all that's done, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And I could break down a lot of that, but I just want to go back to our word. I, I said our lesson for the week is that Jesus transforms lives. Jesus transforms lives. Jesus transforms lives. What does transform mean? I mean, most of you know about the transformers, you know? Like, it's a, it's a Ford Mustang. No, it's a 17-foot-tall robot with guns. Like It's like it was, it was one thing, and now it's something different. Transform to change, to morph, to become something different. And I, and I love his use of the word transform because he's saying, listen, if you follow Jesus... You will be changed. If you are not changed, I would step on on a limb here and say, you are not following Jesus. If nothing has changed about you, then you are not following him, because that's what he calls us to. He calls us to be different. Ten years ago, when we first launched, does anybody remember what the name of our first teaching series was? Curious. Anybody? Who was here the first Sunday? Yeah. Okay. It was called That New Car Smell. You remember that? Okay, That New Car Smell. You know the new car smell? Mmm, the new car smell. And then like three weeks later, it's like the old french fry smell. It's like a different, whole different situation in your car. And what we talked about is this is what we're built on, guys. (laughs) We are built on transformation. Our very first teaching series was The New Car Smell. And what we said was basically no matter how banged up your old hoopty ride is, your life, it's a metaphor, okay, God can restore that. He can restore the new car smell in your life. Where every day you wake up, His mercy is anew every morning. He can change you. He can restore you. And so our focus passage for that whole series was from 2 Corinthians five seventeen. another one of my favorite passages. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Listen to this. The old is gone. New is here. Jesus transforms lives. It's what he specializes in, and he specializes in working in broken, messed up people to do it. And, and, and over the years, I've seen it over and over and over. I got to start with myself. I am not the same person that I was 10 years ago. Ask my wife and ask Emily Myers. <laughs> if you don't know, Emily's on staff with us, and uh, she has had to put up with me for 10 years. And ask a lot of you who have been around, and I have worked hard on letting God's spirit change me to be more patient, to, to care more about people, <laughs> to have empathy. I used to say I don't have any empathy. Now I just cry all the time. <laughs> to be patient. I've had to struggle through understanding what faith really is. Like I used to think faith is being big and bold and moving to Wilmington. Now I'm like, no, that's that's... That's being big and bold. Uh, faith is sitting in the middle of stuff that you have no idea how it's going to work out, and just saying God's got this. And so God has changed me; He's transformed me. And I could tell you about the transformation He's done since before I started following Him. I mean, the anger issues He dealt with in me, my personal sin and, and addiction that He—I mean, oh, that's just me. That's just me. This isn't even about me. This—I'm anecdotally one dude in the crowd whose life is transformed by Jesus. But if I look back, I can just see so many people in Venture Church's history, and, I, and the two things that come to mind quickly to me as I was thinking through them, and I decided not to name names because I just don't want to. We're on the internet, and, but you know your story. And I think about addiction. And I, I'm, I'm picturing, wow, people in my head right now, and I know, I'm thinking of one individual who was just tore up with addiction, drug addiction. And it was bad, and this person came and said, I can't take it anymore, but I just came to church, This is when we were meeting at Alderman Elementary School. I just came to church, and I'm glad y'all don't have a steeple. I will never go into a building with a steeple ever again. That was his words. And I was just like, okay, cool. We can work with that. Uh, And so he talked to me about um, his addiction. I remember pairing him with a couple of people who had been through some addiction. And through their help, through his decision, and mostly through the power of God's Holy Spirit working in his life, I talked to him this week. They have since moved Uh, to a different state, my man is a godly father, and husband, and servant in his church, and never misses work, and does not do drugs anymore. Jesus transforms lives. I think about marriages, I'll be even more vague with this, because you're in the room, several of you, but man, people who are like, my marriage is falling to pieces, and you'll come talk with a few of us, and our culture just says, well, cool, be done. There are so many fish in the sea. But you're like, but, but I made a commitment in front of God and my family. I want to stick this thing out. And so many of you point your life back to Jesus, and it saved your marriage, and it made you a bare parent, and you're probably still working on stuff. Jesus transforms lives. On and on it goes. And that's the lesson for this week. Jesus transformed his life. I could literally be like, all right, close the book, band come up, let's sing some songs. But I got to tell you something. I, I don't feel good about that because here's the thing i think when we walk in naively into life thinking like la 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 everything's going to be good if i just paint rainbows on stuff like it's happy unicorns and gold dust and it's like we can just paint pretty things and make it feel but listen there is an enemy to transformation and paul talks about it in the verse that we read and it's the enemy that attacks us every single day and the enemy to transformation is conformation do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And Paul brings that up because he's working in a group of people who many of them were worshiping being pagan deities, demonic powers, killing stuff to altars of like wood and stone. And he said, "Listen, you got to change your thinking. Or you're just going to be conformed to the rest of this word. world." Conform means transform means to become different. Conform means to become the same. Have you ever been in a subdivision that was built very quickly? (laughs) Same house, same house, same house, same house. I remember living in a place one time as a kid. It was actually my my aunt's community. I remember going out on a bicycle and I left and I I wasn't very old, but I was riding around. And then I remember getting like turned around and I was like, all the houses look the same. And I remember like, I was just crying and crying. I was sitting behind this house crying and my cousin came out and he's like, what are you doing, man? And I realized I was in their backyard. I had no idea, I didn't even go that far but like that's what confirmation is like it's the same and when you look at the world and you're like I'm acting the same way that the world is acting I'm treating people the same way the world treats people I value the things that the world values it's an enemy to transformation Jesus says I want to change you I don't want to keep you the same I love you just the way you are but I love you way too much to leave you that way I want to let you change Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And So what does it mean to not conform? Uh, Throughout history, spiritual giants have attempted lots of different things, and some of my favorite stories. Uh, to be inspired by and of kind of giggle it a little bit. is like some of the monks and nuns and people who have gone out and do some pretty amazing things, like living in caves and in the wilderness and like eating nothing but like shoe leather or something. I don't know, like all this stuff. And they're like, I'm doing it for Jesus. And they do it with a good intention. They want to get away from society. They want to be away from temptations. They want to like rid themselves of the world. Um, one of my favorites of these guys is, is this guy. Is a group of Early church leaders called the Desert Fathers. If you don't know about the Desert Fathers, man, you should just learn about those. They're they're inspiring. They have a lot of really cool things. Um, but I got a picture of this this guy. His name's Simeon the Stylite. Now I've talked about Simeon a couple times before, but I mean, there's no, he's he is the OG. This guy. This guy did it, okay? And when it comes to, like, isolating yourself for Jesus, this guy did it. If you don't know the story of Simeon the Stylite, let me just tell you a little bit about it. When he was a teenager, he entered into a monastery. He was a very young convert to Christianity, and he learned this whole thing about not conforming to the world. So he was so, like, intent on not being like the world that it got on the other monks' nerves. Like, they were like, dude, like, just chill out just a minute. Like, we're fine. And so they kind of, like, kicked him out of the monastery. He was like, fine, I'm going to go live in the wilderness. So he goes out and he lives in the wilderness somewhere, like this, this area, and, um, But he also was very wise. People would always come to him and ask him questions and try to ask him things about the Bible. And he was like, will you please leave me alone? I'm trying to not conform to the world. I'm trying to be transformed. Will you leave me alone? So like, so these people were coming and they were bugging him. And so he went out to this other thing. And in these ruins, he found this like pillar, this this tall platform. And he just climbed up there. And he was like, I'm not coming down until y'all leave me alone. Well, they didn't leave him alone. They just... Kept coming to talk to him. Some kids from a neighboring village would like bring him food and water. He just stayed up there for like days and days. This is, as far as I understand, this is a true story from history. He just stays up there to the point where he's like, you guys leave me alone. So he gets uh, this disciple of his goes and finds him a taller pillar. And so he's like, I'm going to go get on a taller pillar. And I don't know if they had ladders or elevators. But he got up there and he gets up on the pillar and he's up there and he stays. And like he just becomes this like this icon and even more people come to see him because like now they want to see the guy on the pillar. Is he still up there? I heard he's up there too this very day. So he's up there. He stayed up there for so long. He was on that pillar for tradition says 37 years apparently without coming down. He would practice different postures and different prayers and people would pass up there. I think there was like a rope system. Um, What? Now, here's the craziest thing about that story this guy had disciples who got their own pillars okay now all right so i'm not actually just picking on this guy i think he and his motivation was probably really good but let me just ask you do you think that that's what paul had in mind when he's like don't conform to the patterns of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind maybe that's what you need to do you just have like completely no self-control and you just i got to go sit on a pillar But I do think that it is kind of in the face of what Jesus tells us, is to go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And I will be with you always, or all the different times, and we're told to go out and make a difference in someone's life, or be in community together, and don't forsake the gathering together of believers. Like, there's lots of things in the Bible that indicate we shouldn't just isolate ourselves to stay away from temptation and the world. So what do we do? The Apostle Paul says that it happens through the renewing of our mind. The renewing of our mind is how we can be transformed. And so as we wrap up today, I, I want to show you two little ways that we can work on that. Um, you've probably changed habits in the past, okay? And like maybe you tried to work out, maybe you tried to use a new diet, look at your phone less, like whatever. You probably understand this. Uh, you're not good at it you've probably realized you're really bad at transformation. Confirmation is actually, that's our sweet spot. We're good at that. Transformation, not so much. And so uh, there's two sides of this, and part of it's in, in like my court, like what i got to do, and part of it's in God's court, just to let you know, okay? And so, so, so the my part, and I think it begins here. It's, it, it, it first happens by your choice. you got to choose. I want to be different. I want to live different, and I want to do something different. I got to beat the guy who came with the drug problem, like, he was like, I just got to do this. I got to change. It begins with like your initial choice, and maybe for you it's just a choice to take a small turn in your life maybe it's the initial decision to to follow Jesus whatever it is but sometimes it's like a, a rock bottom moment sometimes it's just like a rational decision like you're just super logical and you're like actually as I calculate the rest of my life this is poor choice I need to find something different but whatever it is that brings you to that is choice and then it's like the continual choice the day in and day out hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of choices that I talked about earlier It's the choice like what will I watch, what will I say, what will I do with my time, how will I react to people when they do things on the road that I don't think is the best driving practice. You know, how will I treat people who are different than me, how will I invest my time and my money, my resources, how will I parent, how will I spouse, how will I work. These are the choices, and it's choice, 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 choice. So on the one hand, there's like, there's the choice that we make. There's also the choice to, to begin to soak up the pure and living water of God, to be in his word, to be surrounded by good people, by God fearing people like that. That's that's all the choice. And and on the one hand, I think that's where we try to stop. And that's why we fail so often. Because if it's completely on me to just always do it right all the time, can I go ahead and give you this the answer to that it ain't gonna work? I'm a mess. You're a mess. We're a mess or the Island of Misfit Toys from the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer movie. Like We we are a hot mess when left to our own devices. So that choice thing, I don't know what percentage of the process it is. For some of us, it might only be 10%. Some of you might be up to like 60% or 55% or 40% of choice. I've got to do choice. But then what? Here's the second half. The, The renewing of our mind happens through grace. There's choice on our part, and then there's grace on God's part. Jesus comes into our life, and He offers us so much, so much. Jesus taught, and the Bible teaches in several places, that God's Holy Spirit moves in among our life when we choose Him. It happens uh, I, I, I see it happen in, in, in Acts chapter two, verse 38 that the people say, "What should we do?" And he's like, "Well, you should repent, turn your hearts back to God. That's the choice, <laughs> and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and the forgiveness of your sins. That's the grace. Or in Romans chapter 6, in the first like 10 verses, it talks a lot about that transformation and how we shouldn't go on living in grace so that so that grace will increase. Don't keep on sinning so that grace will increase. No, 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 don't. But don't you know that everyone who has been baptized in Christ has been died with Christ, buried with Christ, and raised to walk in newness of life? You made the choice to give your life to Jesus, but then you're raised to walk in newness of life. That's the grace. And the Holy Spirit of God comes in and He helps us when we're weak. The book of Romans teaches us, like, when you don't even know what to pray for, oh, you know where to begin. The book of Romans says that the Holy Spirit will speak to God on your behalf. I mean, it's God's Spirit. They're already, they're already there together, the same. And you're just like, oh, Lord, help me. And the Holy Spirit's like, oh, I know what you mean. <laughs> I'll translate that for you. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our life. Galatians says that the Holy Spirit gives us a gift, lots of gifts. Part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is something called self-control. So when it comes to transforming and you're not good enough to do it on your own, the Holy Spirit can come along and help you have more self-control. And what about your sin and your brokenness? Well, that's the main present. That's the main thing. Through Jesus our sins are washed away. That's what baptism symbolizes is this cleansing. The book of 1 Peter says it's not the washing of dirt from your body. It's the pledge of a clean conscience towards God. And I love this. Galatians chapter 3 verse 26 says, So in Christ, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have, listen, clothed yourself with Christ. So on a spiritual level, you've been transformed. Like when a spiritual being looks at you. I I don't want to talk about stuff that I don't fully understand, but this is kind of... I think I'm coming from a good place here. and I think I understand this. Like Spiritually, when spiritual beings look at us, and we don't talk about it as a culture. We're like, oh, don't talk about spiritual beings. That's for voodoo and old school stuff. No, like if there's no spiritual beings, then you have no soul. I mean, there are spiritual beings. Um, but when they see you, th- according to this, when we give ourselves to Jesus, we've been clothed with Christ. Part of what I th- think that means is that when whether angels or demons or God himself looks at us, what they see is Jesus. Despite my brokenness. Despite my past, I've been transformed. And so maybe on the surface, I'm just like kicking as hard as I can to stay afloat. Deep down inside, the transformation has already begun. In fact, it's a process. Theologians call it sanctification. It's the process of becoming holy. That he gives it all to you from the start. And he says, listen, for the rest of your life, just work it out. Just keep working it out. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is His good, pleasing, and perfect will. A few months ago, my parents moved out of my childhood home. Uh, they're both retired now, they wanted to do something different. And so I had to go and clean out a bunch of my stuff from the attic. And among the stuff was uh, a bunch of yearbooks from when I was a kid. And you remember, like, when people would sign your yearbook? And uh, like I was the first to sign your crack. You ever do that? Like this, (laughs) like all these little things. And a bunch of people in my yearbook said something like this, Uh, Chris, never change. Well, I mean, they liked me. They really liked me. But also, that is the dumbest advice to give to an 18-year-old. Never change. Does anybody, some of you are closer to 18, so you're like, I think I'm killing it right now. You're not killing it. You're doing the best you can. But those of you who are older, um, like, does anybody wish they never changed since they were 18? (laughs) No. I, I think the best advice I could write in a yearbook is like, dear Chris, you should change a lot. Like, so much. Like, I can't describe to you how much you need to change. Please change as much as possible because that means you're alive. Change means alive. Things that don't change are inanimate. And God has changed me so much because of Jesus. And as I look, oh my goodness, I love you guys. He's worked in y'all's lives so much. And for 10 years we've been doing this together, and some of you have been around for the whole 10 years, and some of you just got here, but man, you're family. And the lesson is that Jesus transforms lives, and that's what we're moving forward to do. What will you let him transform for you? We, we become perfectionists in our spiritual walk to the point that we, we think that it's up to us to get it all right. And so, you know, we beat ourselves up like, well, I read my Bible five times this week, but really, isn't the goal seven? Well, find me that scripture and then we can talk about that. But it's really just a process of seeking God daily. Relying on his grace, walking in faith. And so my challenge for you, I always give us a challenge every week, I try to, and it's, it's simple. It's like, it's just quick review, like in your brain, what is the thing you're holding on to with white knuckles that you're like, God, I'll give you everything, but I won't give you this. And my challenge to you is to let him have it. Give it to him. And it might be a stress thing, I'm guessing a stress thing, a worry thing is, is, is very common, just give me some ideas here. Yes, you should plan. You should be uh, responsible. But worry is the illusion of control. You can't control it, so I worry about it, so I can at least feel like I have some control. It might be a, a secret sin that you're wrestling with. It might be a public sin. I mean, everybody knows. Everybody knows that I got a super foul mouth and I don't care about people. Everybody knows that I'm living in a, in a moral relationship with my girlfriend and my boyfriend. Everybody knows that. And we live in a brave new world right now, so let's just, God's probably cool with it. God's not cool with your sin. He doesn't have any patience for it. But that doesn't mean that you're lost without a chance. you got to let go and let him change you. Let him transform you. Jesus brings transformation. We've been doing it for 10 years. I don't know who's going to get the privilege of giving the the next 10 year series, maybe it'll be me, but together, can we help bring change to people's life through Jesus? Let's do it. Let me pray for us today. Father, I thank you so much for giving me grace and uh, your power in my life, and every day I feel uh, that I could point at moments where I, I didn't measure up, but you continue to Shower me with blessings and grace anyway. I thank you for our church family. The fact that we're standing here after 10 years.